This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode 207, recorded Wednesday, March 11th, 2015. That's right. So, Jason, earlier today, a guy on Twitter who goes by the name Mr. Chainsaw sent sent us a tweet. Yeah. Including a picture. And it was a photo of a little section of the podcast charts for the UK iTunes store. And he was congrat- congratulating us on being number 116 on the list. Wow. 116 on the podcast charts in the UK. In the UK. Now, I don't know 100% if... It was just in the TV and film category, or if it was overall. But either way, it's pretty nice. It's, that is pretty good. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that. Yeah, it's great. Now, that's in the UK, and, and I know, you know, I've known for a while that we have a pretty strong listener base over there in the UK, which is fantastic. But so I just wanted to throw a big thanks out to everyone across the pond, across the Atlantic there, that uh, has helped make us the number 116 podcast in the UK iTunes store. That's awesome. And with that being said, I think it would also be really cool to crack the top 100. It would be. How do you do that? Well, I think a great way to do that would be to win a podcast award. Oh, yeah, the podcast awards. (laughs) So vote for us, everyone, please. Voting is still going on. There's a little bit of confusion as to when voting ends because they said two weeks, but the date that's listed on the website um, is at the end of March, which would be three weeks from when they opened it. So I'm not right. 100% sure when voting closes, but you don't really need to worry about that right now. What you need to worry about is voting once a day, every day, and uh, receiving that email and then confirming your vote with the link in the email. So make sure every day you go to podcastawards.com, select the Talking Dead out of the entertainment category, and uh, submit your vote. And maybe that'll help us crack the top 100 in the UK and maybe do something for us in the US and Canada too. Yeah, you can make it part of your morning routine. You get up, you uh, have a cup of coffee, you watch a little bit of the news, you vote for us on the podcast awards, and then you have a shower and go to work. Sounds great. That's exactly what I do in the morning. Perfect. Except the coffee. You don't drink coffee. No, you're right. I don't drink coffee. Uh, but I do vote for us in the podcast awards. Well, that's just as good. It really kind of gives you that pick-me-up in the morning. It really does. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks to everyone in the UK. Thanks to everyone who has been voting. And why not thanks to everyone around the world? I'm just very thankful today. <laughs> Thank you, Planet Earth. That's right. Planet Earth. If we're going to win this podcast award, we're going to need the help of Planet Earth. So. Yeah, Earth, uh, we need to get Earth behind us. <laughs> or, All you got to do is lie down. Or beneath our feet. <laughs> Oh, and you just lie down and the earth is behind you. There you go. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. Um, here's something we haven't done in a few weeks, or at least a few podcasts anyways, and that's play an entry in our Record Your Favorite Scene contest. So get a load of this. You'll be outside the walls, far, far away, tied to a tree. And you'll scream and scream because you'll be so afraid. No one will come to help because no one will hear you. Well, something will hear you. The monsters will come, the ones out there, and you won't be able to run away when they come for you. And they will tear you apart.
and eat you all up while you're still alive. All the while, you can still feel it. And afterwards, no one will ever know what happened to you. Chills. That was Tammy doing Carol's uh, threatening speech to Sam from this week's episode. Yeah, that was cool. Very good. Thank you, Tammy, for sending that in. Um, we haven't had, uh, we haven't played one in a couple of weeks, but we're still taking entries for the contest, and we will be doing so until after the season uh, five finale has aired. And by after, I mean like the Wednesday after um, the Sunday when it airs. So you don't mean like fourteen minutes afterwards? You no, mean like the next episode that we're going to record after no 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 we don't want we need to give people a few days just in case they want to do a scene from that episode so right take a breath you know relax a little bit have uh, people uh, gather their wits after the uh, the season finale and then uh, record something and then send it in exactly exactly and then uh, um, at that point Jason and I will review them all choose our favorite and that will be the winner of the contest so um, please keep sending them in if you want to do so Record an audio file, if you can, any way you can, and email it to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com, or uh, use one of our voicemail type lines. The uh, full free number is one 483 9662 There's two, two, yeah. two sixes in the middle there. Need all the numbers. You do need them all. It's very important or it won't work. Uh, or go to our website, talkingdeadpodcast.com, and click on send voicemail, and then you can record right into your computer. Nice. All right. Thanks, everyone, for doing that. Um, next up is the ratings for this last episode, which was called Forgot. And it's a good number. 12.3 million? 14.53. 14.53. That's awesome. Yeah, which is up a smidge from last week. Uh, last week's episode had 14.43. 14.43 to 14.53. That's right. That's 100,000 people. Yes, it is. That's awesome. So, uh, you know, that's that's not a enormous difference when you consider the fact that there's over 14 million people watching this, but that's 100,000 extra people who watched this week, and there you go. That's about uh, probably 87,000 more people than I've ever heard of. <laughs> not not just know or met, yeah. but actually ever even heard of. That's right. You know, we I figure somewhere in the neighborhood of you know twelve to fifteen thousand people that I've heard of, uh-huh. all the celebrities and such, and that I can you know I couldn't write down fifteen thousand names of people I've I've heard of. So no. I figure somewhere around there. That's interesting. That's an interesting statistic. I wonder. I mean, I'm sure there are there are studies done about you know the average number of people. You, someone meets in a lifetime or in a day or whatever. Actually, I don't know that there's studies done on that. Who knows? But it would be interesting to know how many people you've, on average, heard yeah. of, <laughs> are aware <laughs> right. that exist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you're sure you meet people every day, you know, in convenience stores or, you know, buying coffee or whatnot, but you don't learn their names, right? No. So, yeah, I, I don't consider those people that I've heard of. I think those those people I've uh, crossed paths with. Oh, that's okay. It. Good. Well, it sounds like you've got it all figured out. You should you should do this research study somehow. Not even, no. Not even a little bit. No. All right, so good ratings for The Walking Dead. And as we approach the season finale, um, we've got just a few more episodes, right? Three more. So uh, wow. we, we expect it to continue to uh, trend upwards. And I'm going to say right now that the season five finale just might set a brand new record. 
of uh, number of people watching it? Number of people. Number of millions of people. You're going to break 20 million, you think? Ooh, that would be something, man. The current record is 17 point something. So if we got another 3 million, that would be crazy town. I'm going to call everybody I know. Get them to watch it. <laughs> See if that makes a difference. Call everybody you've heard of, and that'll make a difference. Well, you know, I don't know Martin Short's phone number, for example. <laughs> you know, okay, but I can try. He's Canadian. That's good. That might uh, that might work. For all you know, he lives next door to you. Uh, no, because uh, that's uh, I, I know my neighbors' names, and none of them are those names happen to not be Martin Short. You don't want to give them a shout out on the air here on the podcast. Well, there's Danny and Joe and David and Heather. Well, there you go. <laughs> Hi, Danny, Joe, David, and Heather. There you go. All right, uh, let's move on. Listener feedback. All righty. This is what we're here to do today, actually, is our listener feedback for this week's episode. So our first one is a call from Dennis in St. Louis. Hey, guys, this is Dennis in St. Louis, and I hope the audio calling in is okay because I'm driving. Uh, so I guess my only crap would be Rick grabbing the gun to shoot Jesse's husband in the back. I thought for a second he was going to do it. Uh, I think what's actually going to happen, I think in an upcoming episode, some section of that wall is going to be knocked down by a small herd of zombies and probably take out Jesse's husband in that, leaving her free to move to the wreck. Uh That's it. Love the show. Bye. Okay, so let's talk about um, Rick fingering or putting his hand on his gun there. For, don't give me a look like that. <laughs> There's nothing funny about the word. I didn't fingering. say anything. This is radio. Don't look, don't worry about the looks I'm giving you. <laughs> There's nothing funny about the word fingering. That's all I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Um, Rick put his hand on his gun at the end of the episode when Jesse and Pete walked by, and I have a hard time believing that Rick would do anything aggressive at that moment. Well, not not no, not then. I think he's probably going to hide that gun. That's what he was doing. He was, uh, I don't know what the hell he was doing. With I think I, I didn't think he was going to pull it out and use it. No, I didn't either. What I think he was doing is he was readying himself just in case Pete did something, because you know he knows that he kissed Pete's wife, and he had that porch experience in the night with Pete, who was kind of rude. And so, and, you know, he knows something's going on there with, with him and Jesse. So he, I'm thinking Rick is feeling like, well, maybe Pete knows about all this and maybe Pete's not the nicest guy and I got to be careful around him. So even though they're walking along, they look all happy, you never know when Pete's going to pull a weapon or do something rash and Rick is just preparing himself for that. Yeah, it could be. It's kind of, it's kind of what I was thinking because I think it would be nuts for Rick to pull that gun and threaten Pete. In that moment. I mean, Rick is still, he may be the sheriff, but he's still the new guy in town. I mean, if yeah. he wants to get kicked out, that's a pretty good way to do it. Yeah, that's true. All right, next we have an email from Patience in Pennsylvania. So I have a theory, and I wonder if I'm alone in it. I feel like Rick is not letting his guard down, but just pretending to. From the moment I saw Jesse, I felt like her role was to seduce Rick into staying. And I think Deanna's plan is for Pete plan and Pete is is unhappily going along with it because he it's for the welfare of the group. I think Rick sees through this plan and that the kiss was just him playing a game and making them think it's working. I think that gun reach at the end was for Jesse as much as uh, as much as for her husband. Uh, I hope I'm right because uh, she feels very shady to me. Yeah, I mean if if the plan is on the Alexandria side for Jesse to you know, cozy up to Rick to make him want to stay. Right. 
Um, it's a honey I, trap. It's a honey trap, exactly. I don't. I think that's not a crazy theory, and I also agree with patients that Rick might actually see through that, and he's playing along. I think that it, the, the the only problem I have with that is if uh, Rick sees through it, we would see through it. They would give us information so that we could see through it as well as an audience. That's true. I mean, we generally get the point of view of, you know, these characters that we know, right? Yeah. Although, I don't know. I mean, we didn't know what was going on with the termites at first. Of course, neither did the characters. So if I guess if Rick knew exactly what was going on, we would have known what was going we on. Are, we are Rick. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we are Rick. We are yes, Groot. we are. <laughs> Uh, all right, next is Ken in Sacramento, another holy crap. Ken says, my holy crap, did you see that, was the gun storage room. That was the sloppiest arms room I have ever seen. Half the weapons were racked with their magazines inserted, which I would bet is exactly the way Olivia received them. I'll bet no one bothers to check if there are still rounds loaded either. It's a recipe for an accidental shooting. Well, yeah, and then, then they have this whole bin full of handguns. Like, it's a bunch of jawbreakers that uh, you dispense with a nickel. It just, it seems kind of, yeah, it seemed a little haphazard with uh, everything just kind of lying all over the place. It did, although, um, don't you want weapons to be ready to go, you know, in case of an emergency? If a horde of zombies or a horde of bad guys show up at the gate, you don't want to be fooling around trying to figure out what clip goes with what weapon and, you know. Well, that's why you need to organize the room and get everything ready so that you can grab stuff, uh, you know, grab a weapon, grab a magazine, and get the heck out of there. I guess keeping them preloaded is pretty dangerous. Yeah, you don't store a loaded weapon. No, no. Not even in the zombie apocalypse, though? Not even in the zombie apocalypse. Okay. It's just, yeah, you're just asking for trouble. Fair enough. All right, uh, so now we have Greg in New York City. Holy crap, did you see Carol's uh, flinty-eyed intimidation speech to Sam? This was awesome acting by Melissa McBride and the best scene in the episode. After going through so many horrific trials, Rick's group is like a whole other species. Watch out to any who would oppose them. Yep, they are very different. I mean, that's what's one of the things I think that's most interesting about this cohabitation of groups at Alexandria. We've got two really different groups with really different experiences and approaches to this whole situation. Yeah, and uh, Carol's a sociopath in my opinion, or maybe even a little bit of a psychopath. Well, she's she's out and out murdered people because they were sick. Exactly. That's psychopath. Yes. And yeah, she's just, she's off the deep end. Was she like that? Has she been like that her entire life? Or did the zombie apocalypse do that to her? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. I'd want to go back and watch the entire series again, just with that, uh, with that, lens to see uh, to see what happens. Yeah, and we don't, I mean, we do know enough, well, we don't know much about Carol's life before the, before the zombies came, other than she was in an abusive relationship, she had a daughter, and so on and so on. Um, but that doesn't mean she wasn't a psychopath then, too, so. Right, maybe she was just, uh, you know, very low-key psych- psychopath at that point. <laughs> That's right. She just kept to herself, but still crazy. Well, yeah, maybe she just wasn't allowed to have pets. You know, it's like, no, we can't bring pets home because mommy will kill them if <laughs> if they get sick. <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh, the, the dog coughed. <laughs> better, yep. get, better get him out of the house. Well, the dog barfed because dogs barf. Oh, all the they time. They usually clean up after themselves, but dogs barf, and uh, then they would die. 
That's not good. That's not nice. Oh. You, usually when you throw up, it's not worth dying over. Fido peed on the carpet. <laughs> Got to be put down. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, this next call uh, comes from Tony. Hey, Chris and Jason. This is Tony calling from Griffith Park, L.A., California. And I um, actually had some comments. Uh, you know, people were talking about how far away the gun in the, uh, you know, in the blender, you know, how far away that was from Alexandria. When they um, were walking on the road before they went into the barn, Sasha, I think, mentioned that they were about five miles away from, I'm assuming, D.C. Then they went into the barn. Then Aaron came along, and he said that his cars were a couple of miles away. So at, at the minimum, the coffee, the, um, the, the car in the blender was, maybe three miles away from Alexandria. I'm totally nitpicking here. but um, And they did drive a while, and the RV stopped, and then they had very little to go. So I, I think at the most, this house location, the pile of garbage was maybe two miles away from Alexandria, totally walkable in, in a half an hour or less for an able-bodied, now constable, former sheriff, Rick Grimes. So that's my two cents on that. Um, yeah, great podcast, and we'll vote as often as possible. Thanks, guys. Bye. No, Tony, thank you for voting Thanks, as Tony. awesome as often as possible. California, and I'm jealous. California, yeah, yeah, I love California. Um, so we had been talking about how far away the White Shack actually is, and uh, Tony's calculation is that it's maybe a couple of miles away, which is two, two miles. I can do it. I can. Uh, I can see that. That's half hour walk. Four miles an hour. Yeah, that's not that far at all. Really, it's just you. Yeah. You can go out and get there and back pretty quick. So that makes sense. Um, and you know, if they're two miles away from Alexandria when the when the um, RV breaks down, I, that's that's you're gonna and and it's that easy to fix considering they have a battery. You're gonna probably want to fix it and just drive that you know, rest of the two miles. So yeah, for sure. Makes sense. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. Uh, next we have Mike in West Virginia. I really enjoyed this episode. It was a good bit of setup for the things to come. Daryl now has a job and feels a little more at home. Uh, plus he'll get to roam around at his leisure and pleasure. I'm sure Carol taking that piece of chocolate from the freezer might come back to bite her and the group. Uh, she said they didn't keep a very good inventory of all the guns in the crate, but I bet Olivia keeps a much better tab on the food, food stock. Don't forget to vote, people. Yeah, I wanted to include that don't forget to vote thing at the end there. Just, uh, you know, we, can, we people are probably going to start to get annoyed with us begging for votes soon. Yeah. But what else can we do? I mean, we got to we gotta remind you, I apologize. <clears throat> It'll all be over yeah. soon. Yeah, so how many guns have you got in the uh, in the back room there? I don't know. We got a few handguns and a bunch of rifles and some other crap. Okay, how much chocolate do you have? We have exactly four and three-quarters bars of chocolate, and don't take any because uh, that's very important. Those guns, you know, whatever. We got, you know, maybe 150 rounds and a few uh, shotguns and a crossbow or whatever, but uh, damn it, don't touch the chocolate. I know exactly how much is in the freezer. Yeah, well, this, is, this just outlines more uh, further the the feeling of this group where guns are not important but food is now food of course is important for survival well yeah um but you need to be as organized as possible i think and they certainly aren't when it comes to their weaponry right 
Um, and continuing with the chocolate, Matt in Wales says, Did Carol actually take that second piece of chocolate? I'm pretty sure the woman in charge of the grub said that the chocolate was strictly rationed. I think any size will be missed. Yeah, I think that is going to come back to bite her in the ass. Yeah, and uh, move on to the next one, because I think uh, he has that point too. Sure, we have Lee in Pontypool's, Pontypool, Wales. Uh, when Carol went in and stole the chocolate before the guns, I felt this was a uh, a waiver for her in case anyone did see her coming or going, as Sam did. When questioned about why she was there, she can now say she stole the chocolate and they can do an inventory to see she was telling the truth. However, what would be interesting is the justice system put in place by Deanna, especially if Rick has to enforce it. What will be Carol's punishment for the theft be? Right, so... Um this is important. I mean, this may be actually a genius maneuver on Carol's part. You go to steal yeah. a bunch of guns. You also steal chocolate, which is something you were talking with Olivia about earlier that day. Yeah. And then when they say, what were you doing in there? You said, well, I wanted to get more chocolate to make more cookies for Sam. And and you were at the party. I didn't want to bother you. I just wanted to go get the chocolate. You don't have to say, oh, I also stole a bunch of guns while I was there. Right. No, and, and that's, a, that's a really good thing. And here's a, here's a pro tip for uh, being questioned by the police. Uh, always admit to something small. Like, admit you, that you were taking drugs. If you, know, if you kill somebody, you admit to taking drugs. Because uh, uh, that will explain why you're feeling uh, uncomfortable and scared, and uh, they may, you know, let it go. So, pro tip. I'm, of the week. <laughs> okay, I'm not sure how... Uh, I watch a lot of Law and Order. All right. Well, I'm not sure how appropriate that pro tip is for daily life, but always admit to something. (laughs) Yeah, if you get caught doing something, always admit to something small. Okay. To to to, you know, take things off the uh, off the track of getting uh, getting punished. And that's exactly what Carol was doing, which I think is a is a genius maneuver. You take the heat off yourself, basically. Yeah. Or you reduce the heat off on your on yourself. That's right. All right. Well, that's good. Charles in Lewisburg, North Carolina. After watching the latest episode of The Walking Dead, I realized that what is going on with the current story arc is the classic Seven Samurai slash Magnificent Seven slash A Bug's Life scenario. (laughs) Just like in those films, we find in Alexandria a small village that recognizes that they are weak and need help to protect themselves from some outside forces. They send a few members of their group out to look for help from samurais or gunfighters or tougher bugs, or in the case of The Walking Dead, a ragtag group of seasoned survivors and offer them food and shelter in exchange for protection. That's an excellent... Yeah, and Serenity did that too. There was an episode of Serenity where... uh, uh, Or Firefly, where the Serenity crew did that. Magnificent Seven thing. Oh, really? I, I yeah. don't remember that. I have um, I did know, of course, that the Magnificent Seven was an American cowboy take on Seven Samurai, but I, it, it, I never put two and two together and realized that A Bug's Life was that story as well, and I've seen A Bug's Life. Right. I haven't seen A Bug's Life in a long time, and I don't remember the plot at all. No, but my kids uh, have, have watched it a little bit, so it's been on and so on, but maybe I've just never paid attention well enough to realize that, but that's cool. It's funny how they can uh, use these classic stories and, you know, apply them to insects or bugs or whatever. <laughs> right, because it's a bug's life. 
All right, next we have Brian in Texas. I had an epiphany during this episode. The Alexandrians are doing what other captor-slash-captive societies have done in human history, giving our group group ownership of their own prison by making Rick the Sheriff, Michonne the Constable, Carol the Baker, Maggie the Bureaucrat, and Daryl the Field Recruiter. The Alexandrians will be more effective in conditioning our heroes to become agreeable with conditions around them and eventually accepting choices that they would not have made in the past, especially concerning their own individual safety. And I think this comes back to that conversation that Rick had with Michonne when she was trying on her police outfit. You know, he was saying, um, well, he he questioned why give the strangers the, all this authority. And I think she said something like, maybe that's, the play they're trying to make us you know they're they're trying to make everyone here feel comfortable with us and if right. they give us these jobs right away then that'll help everyone who already lives here trust us and be more comfortable and stuff like that um, but the flip side is that it also helps to integrate the new people really quickly and get them on board with whatever alexandria is trying to do yeah it's good Josh in Indiana says, it seems like the show is setting Daryl up to turn on Carl, uh, Carol and or Rick. Aaron says Daryl can, pe- can tell the difference between a good and a bad person. Carol and Rick are both turning into bad people. You think so, eh? Well, I, I, I don't know. Are Carol and Rick becoming bad people or are they just looking out for number one? I think they're pragmatic people. I'm not sure that they're bad people quite yet. When they take over and start instituting martial law and uh, you know stabbing people in the face, then that's bad. But I think for now they're just trying. They're they're still they they got trust issues, which are which is understandable. So I think that's the primary thing is that they are lacking trust in this group, in this society yet. But isn't Carol maybe already a bad person? I mean, we just got well, finished yeah, talking. Well, yeah, she's a psychopath, but I don't... I. Uh... It's tough. I mean, it's a really difficult question because you have to factor in the circumstances and what they've experienced and, you know, what you have to do to preserve your own life in various situations. In this particular situation, there, to me, anyways, there doesn't seem to be anything that threatening about Alexandria. In fact, they've been very welcoming to these people um, since they got there. So Rick and Carol stealing guns and sort of acting um, or, or, you know, not being entirely trustworthy is sort of to be expected or yeah. trusting of the people is to be expected. But um, is it, you know, the question is, is it justified? And I'm not sure that it is necessarily. I'm trying to put Carol on the Dungeons and Dragons law, uh, 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 you know, lawful good versus chaotic evil uh, scale. Right. The, uh, uh, so, you know, the governor is a lawful evil, right? The rule of law, uh, regardless, you know, it's, he's not a good person. He's he's a bad person, but he follows laws. Whereas Rick he was lawful good, uh, you know, and now he's kind of more of a neutral good kind of guy. Carol, I, I can't decide whether she is neutral evil or just neutral. So a, new, a, a neutral evil person is neither chaotic nor lawful, but they're just kind of do bad things uh, for the sake of uh, balance. Whereas a true neutral person will do good things as well as do bad things. It doesn't make any difference to them as long as there is balance. And I, I can't decide if Carol is a true neutral or neutral evil. Carol 
has changed a lot in five she seasons has. of the show, right? Um, and but but this kind of reinforces what I was thinking in that, like, killing Lizzie last season was that a good thing or a bad thing? I think it was in her mind. It was just simply a necessary thing. So where does where does that? I mean, where does she fall then? If it was if it was it's, necessary, it, it's lawful. Yeah, it, it it's well, no, it's not lawful. It's not following the rule of law, like okay. doing something uh, like a, a paladin would be a lawful good uh, character. Whereas I don't I don't give a shit what happens. I'm not murdering somebody because mm-hmm. it's against the law, and there's no way I'm doing it. No, yeah, that, that makes uh, sense. So, Carol, I think it's it's kind of it's not evil. It's not good. It's just necessary. So I, that's why I'm kind of uh, on the fence as to what her alignment is. Is it true neutral, or is it just she does what she feels is necessary, whether it's good? Sometimes it's a good thing she does, like saving the whole group from Terminus, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's sometimes it's an evil thing, like killing a little girl, or right? threatening a little boy, <laughs> or threatening a little boy and meaning it. Like there was nothing about that speech where I thought she was just saying it for the sake of saying it. I believed her that she would tie that little boy up in the woods uh, in order to get him to not talk. Yeah, and that says as much about Melissa McBride, actually, and her ability to deliver that kind of performance in that sort of scene as it does about the character of Carol. Yeah. Anyway, I think we need to plot everybody on the uh, uh, the D&D alignment scale. Okay. The old D&D alignment scale, because it's all changed now in the new versions, and it's all crazy. <laughs> Go back to the good old days. If it ain't fixed, don't... If it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's right. <laughs> all right. Where are we? Are we at Angie in uh, Birmingham? Yes, I think so. All right. It's pretty obvious that the writers are having fun with the speculation about Daryl's sexual orientation. Take the one character all the women love, the one they desperately want to hook up with, with another character. The one, uh, the one that has gay rumors circulating about him, and have him sit down to a cozy meal with two gay men. So this comes from some, I don't know, chatter on the internet earlier this year about is Daryl gay? There was a lot of uh, discussion online about this, and I don't think I brought it up here on the podcast because I no, really, I don't, I don't recall this at all. We might have mentioned it briefly, but it, it, I didn't really think it had any bearing on anything, really. I mean, he may be, he may not be. And then at some point, I believe Kirkman actually came out and responded and said, "Daryl's not gay." Oh, why would he do that? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I really don't see the reason for him to bother doing that. It's neither here nor there. I mean, we'll find out or we won't. He's a fictional character. Who cares if he's gay? Well, that's the thing, too. Um, but what Angie is saying is that I think maybe they're just having a little fun with that, knowing that that happened, like, I don't know, when, whenever it started six months ago, um, that they're now, you know, having Daryl sort of befriend the new gay characters on the show. And... You know, I don't know what to think about that. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. But uh, either way, I just I'm happy Daryl got a job and has some friends. <laughs> yeah, me too. You know, that's like uh, when Jim Henson was asked. Or I think the, no, it was the producers were asked if Bert and Ernie were a gay couple, and they said uh, he said uh, Bert and Ernie are puppets. They don't exist from the waist down. They're not gay. They're not straight. They're puppets. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> Daryl's a puppet. He's a character. A lot of he's people. Not gay, he's not stray. He's a character. A lot of people would love to stick their hand up Daryl's ass and manipulate him. That's just lovely. <laughs> All right, let's move on. This is a call from Charlie in Franklin, Massachusetts. 
Hey guys, Charlie from Franklin, Massachusetts. I completely missed the Terminus train car connection on the uh, red letter A, but there is kind of another important precedent for red letter A's in literature. Scarlet letters for adultery. Just saying. Thanks for the show. Keep it up. Great work. Thanks, Charlie. Jason, why don't you read the next one? So, see, it's a key party. Uh, Jennifer from Illinois. Uh, a thought on the A stamp, a scarlet letter reference, perhaps? When Rick and Jesse see each other out on the street, they smile, nod, and acknowledge their respective stamps. But since Pete is the first one we see with the stamp, is it possible that he's already cheating? This could uh, this could set up a reduced guilt affair for Rick and Jesse without culminating in a major confrontation that would have Rick killing the town's surgeon. Okay, so I just want to say that I feel like a boob because watching the episode, the whole Scarlet Letter thing didn't occur to me at the time. No, not to me either. Uh, I was so focused on, oh my God, it's the red A from Terminus that that's kind of where my brain went. Now... I haven't. I also have not read the Scarlet Letter, um, which I know some people may find shocking because I think it's one of those books that a lot of people read in later in high school or maybe even in uh, college or university. But um, it just it never crossed my path, and I haven't read it, so it wasn't really at the forefront of my mind. What about the movies? Isn't there like seven Scarlet Letter movies or something like that, including one with uh, Oh damn it, I forget her name. Yeah. Um, um, what's her name from the recent Spider-Man movies? Emma, yeah, yeah. Emma Stone. That was... Uh, that Easy A. Easy A. That was based yep. on The Scarlet Letter. That's a great movie. I like that movie a lot. Yeah. Um, so that's... Yeah, it's The Scarlet... It's basically the story is uh, you... you I, I think, and I'm just kind of pulling this out from the various TV shows and movies that I've seen about The Scarlet Letter, or at least referencing The Scarlet Letter, that, uh, that a woman cheats is an adulteress and she is branded with this scarlet letter mm-hmm. uh, that she has to sew on her clothes in order for everyone to know that she's an adulteress. Exactly. Right. So the, uh, I don't know, would they have a little kid going around stamping everybody going, you cheated on ye- on my mom, you cheated on my dad, you cheated on your wife. And, you know, he's stamping everybody, <laughs> labeling them a cheater. Well, if, yeah, if you can't really take it literally as what we saw on screen, right? I mean, obviously a kid isn't going to be the one who goes and stamps someone, but figuratively that right. a definitely i mean i can certainly see why it invoked the scarlet letter in some people because i mean we have this scenario where rick is moving on another guy's wife and now he's stamped with an a and um so it's it's obvious to me now that you know they were intending for people to sort of pick up on that right and right. clearly everyone did except you and i <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they intended for people to pick on pick up on it, but they uh, fairly uh, they clearly failed to uh, understand the scope of our ignorance, you and me. Oh yeah, and I mean that scope is wide. That is a large, vast vat of ignorance. It is wide. It is deep. It is colossal. It is. Uh, Karen in New York City, she also made the connection to the Scarlet Letter, and she sent an email with a link to um, a quote from the Wikipedia page about it that references things like repentance, dignity, legalism, sin, and guilt. And she wrote, I think the themes of repentance, dignity, legalism, sin, and guilt all play a heavy role in The Walking Dead, particularly repentance and dignity now that the group seems to have found, at least temporarily, a safe community where life is somewhat normal. Uh, 
Getting back to a normal life after going through what the group members have gone through is certainly a challenge. They can live with dignity again, but may feel guilty for all those who they lost and can't be there, and for the things that they had to do to get to Alexandria. They have also they also have time to reflect and repent on the sins they may have committed in the name of survival, like murder, stealing, and so on. I think the A has a lot more significance than just the label on the train car or standing for Alexandria. Or, oh, and there's that too, I guess. Yeah, so the, the A has multiple meanings for sure. And, yeah. uh, you know, any of those sort of feelings could be you could be brought up when you were when you were watching this episode. So good stuff. It could also stand for anarchy if it had a circle around it, and the stamp was circular. You know, there is a circle there, so it's uh, it could be complete anarchy. Or maybe it's albatross. <laughs> I don't think it's albatross. <laughs> maybe because they'd be they'd have to be on the ocean if it was an albatross. Yeah, all right. Could be uh, it could be anything but albatross. <laughs> That's true. All right, so we have a call from Sam in Decatur, Georgia. And I don't seem to have opened Sam's audio file, so I'm going to do okay. that we'll right wait. now. All right, here we go. Hey there, Jason and Chris. This is Sam from Decatur, Georgia. What is up with the shit luck of people named Sam on this show? So far, we've had Tara's ex-girlfriend, who is presumably dead. We have hippie Sam, who we know to be dead. We saw him die in a trough in Terminus. And we also have the Sam from the Carl and his Pudding episode of season four. The walker that stole Carl's shoe. Uh, let's see, the room in which Carl trapped that walker. The door had a nameplate on it that said Sam. So we have three dead or presumably dead Sams. And now we have Sam in Alexandria, who, if Carol has her way is going to be dead at the first opportunity. Uh, also of note, in, in the second season of the Walking Dead tell, Telltale video game, the dog that you have to put down is named Sam. So, Sam's are not doing too well in the zombie apocalypse, and I hope that if the real zombie apocalypse comes around that I fare better. All right, thanks. Love the podcast, guys. <laughs> yep. So we hope so too, Sam. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so if you're keeping track, The Walking Dead hates people named Sam, little girls, yep, and horses. And horses. So that's, you know, I I mean that's a lot of different types of people and animals to hate. That's true. <laughs> All right, uh is it me? Yeah, it's you. Kate in Kansas writes, "I don't think you've addressed this yet." But for the second episode, I've just been so confused about why the Alexandrians would put the braces on the outside of the wall. Shouldn't they be on the inside? Can we call in an expert on this? <laughs> well, do we have an expert? In fact, we do. <laughs> All right, so it, we have Matt in Delaware. Hey, guys. This is Matt in Delaware. Um, I'm a structural engineer and it bothers the hell out of me that they have those supports on the outside of the wall. I don't understand it. I, I, you know, those are there to prevent large mass forces and to transition them into the ground, into a foundation, you know, similar to when the fence was caving in at the prison, Rick took apart the bamboo shoots from the, uh, the farm and used them to brace the wall 
so that the walkers wouldn't pile it over. Now, you know, with the supports on the outside of the wall, it really doesn't serve a purpose except to hold the wall up. It really won't prevent anything from pushing it over if, you know, like a, a horde comes and tries to just, you know, brute force, they will knock the wall over. So anyway, that bothers the heck out of me. Wanted to see if anybody else uh, felt the same. So keep up the good work. Good luck on the uh, the podcast awards. I'll keep voting for you guys. Love you. Bye. Thank you very much, Matt. So he is actually... Love you. He said love you. I know. That's nice. That's sweet. We love everyone too. But he said he's a structural engineer. So yeah. uh, Kate asked for an expert and we delivered one. There you go. <laughs> so yeah, it doesn't make any sense. No, not at all. I mean, you push hard enough, those walls are just going to topple over. Not to mention that you could easily climb them because those supports you'd think would be easier to climb or just scramble up. Now, the question I have is, uh, I don't know if uh, how many of our listeners or if you, Chris, have gone to the Science Center in Sudbury, Ontario. It, it's called Science North Museum, and I have Science been there. Science North. You have been there. it was probably 30 years ago. All right, so you walk through the main entrance, and you have to go through this cave that goes from the uh, the entrance hall where you buy a ticket to where the Science Center proper is, right? Do you remember going through that cave? I'm afraid I do not. The only thing I remember doing at the Science North Museum up there is holding one of those stick bugs on my hand and being able to like turn it upside down, and he's he's gripped my hand and stuff like that. Nice. That's a fancy stick bug. Yeah, it's a big one. Like It's right. like four inches long. That that's a big stick bug. Yeah. Uh, all right. So you walk through this cave, and this cave, uh, there is a whole bunch of bolts in the uh, the walls of this cave, and the person that was taking us through was telling us that these bolts go into into the rock, and each bolt will hold forty tons of rock back from falling down. Now the it, it's. I was thinking when I saw that these these braces on the outside of the wall, I was thinking, yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense, but. You know, if, if no, I guess the zombies aren't actively trying to knock down the wall. Like, they're not going to go and say, okay, in order to knock down this wall, we have to get rid of these supports. So we knock down the supports and the wall just comes tumbling down. Uh, that makes perfect sense to me. And if it was a horde of human beings trying to take down the walls, they would absolutely do that. But zombies wouldn't. So I was thinking of them in terms of these bolts in Science North where each bolt was in the actual rock. It wasn't in the cave itself bracing up the... Uh, up the, the walls of the cave, it was actually in the rock holding the the rock back. So I was thinking of these braces as something similar to that. But, you know, what the hell do I know? The only experience I have is a tour guide saying that these bolts work. Don't worry about the walls falling in. And me being a kid going, okay, that sounds cool. Now I'm looking at these this wall. But Matt, uh, you know, being a structural engineer, if it doesn't make sense to him, you know, it doesn't make sense to me anymore. Why the hell would... And, uh, Deanna's husband's an architect, was that right? Yeah, Reg. What the hell is he thinking? I, I don't know. I mean, who knows? We can't really speculate on on why an architect would build it that way, but maybe there Maybe was he's looking at it from an aesthetic point of view. You know, yeah. I don't want all these braces on the inside of the wall because that makes our town ugly, so I'm going to put the braces on the outside of the wall because uh, there's hardly any zombies anyway, so who gives a shit? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It is... It is strange. Um, I got to think if the braces are, you know, they must be secured to the ground somehow. So that would, you'd think would, would help prevent them from being pushed over too easily. But at the end of the day, I mean, they just make it that much easier to climb too. 
even if he can't push it over. So, yeah, that's true. I mean, somebody who wants to sneak in, human beings who want to sneak in, just shimmy up the damn braces and hot diggity dog, you're over the wall. Hi, here I am over your wall. That's right. All right. That's you. Tim in Charlton, UK. I'm glad you're keeping things organized here because I don't know what's going on. (laughs) Tim writes, uh, did you guys mourn the loss of Tyrese even more now as Alexandria is exactly his kind of place? I can imagine him setting up, putting on some beige slacks, a V-neck jumper, and opening a daddy daycare. Yeah, he probably could. He has a hammer. He could help build a wall. (laughs) Yeah, but he's more of a child-caring type person from what we knew of him. And, uh, you know, this is the kind of place he was looking for, and he almost made it. He just almost made it. He just died a couple episodes ago, didn't quite make it, so it's too bad Tyrese isn't here, because Tim is right. He would have loved Alexandria. Yeah, that's true. He would have been all over it. I do miss him, and I think that it's too bad that he's not here. It is. It's a little sad. All right, we have uh, Bernard in London, UK. It must be fairly hard to carve a W in a zombie's head and walk away without getting bitten. I mean, okay, it's possible, but not easy. And more than one person must be involved. So obviously the W carving people are coming for them. Well, wait a minute. Could we not think that, I mean, is it, are the W's maybe maybe carved into living people and then turned into zombies? I think they're carved in the zombies. Okay. Because why would you carve a W into a living person's head? I don't know. I mean, why do people do anything? They're, they're marking these people somehow. With a W. I think they're carving them in the in the uh, in the zombies. Okay. So as Bernard says, you'd need a couple people to do that. One to hold the zombie down, and one to do the carving, most likely. Right. Unless you got a really long sword and you are fantastically awesome at it, and you just go. <laughs> whoosh, 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 if you're, you're done. if you're Zoro, it, it might work. Well, Zoro's a Zed, right? But this would be a Waro. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, if you had the skill of Zoro, but carved Ws. Right. You know, at least it's not a uh, uh, an R. An R would be really hard because you got to get the carved part, the cur- curved part, and then the stick, and then, yeah, a W would be a lot easier than, a, than an R. So, yep. uh, luckily, if, if this group is called the Wolves, uh, you know, that's a lot better than the Ravens coming for you because R's are hard to carve. <laughs> that's very in, true. In, in people's heads. In people's heads. With a pencil <laughs> on a piece of paper, not so much. Well, that's not really carving. That's more of a writing. Sorry. Right? <laughs> so if you're carving something, uh, straight lines are a lot easier to carve than curved lines. With a multi-tool into the side of a tree. Not so hard. Right. Not so hard. <laughs> All right. Uh, Chaz on the internet writes, I have an issue with a comment Jason made on Monday regarding Away in a Manger being played in the background. Okay. A listener questioned, is Judith actually baby Jesus? Jason said no, because you can pinpoint both mother and father. My question to Jason is, can you? All I'm going to say is Rick really loves Shane's baby. Who's to say it's Rick or Shane? Who's to say Dale wasn't hitting that? Who's to say there's a father at all? Right. And, you know, technically you can pinpoint Jesus' father. It's God, right? They tell you right in the Bible, Jesus' father is God. So you can, you know, narrow it down pretty good. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, Judas father is in question, Shane or Rick, but neither one of them is, uh, an omnipotent deity. True. (laughs) That we know of. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But I, I think Chaz's point is just that we don't know who the father is. Maybe, um, maybe it was an immaculate conception of some kind. 
and Judith is the Savior. That's probably not Dale. It, I can't imagine it, it would be Dale. I don't think it would be Dale either. Dale is far too honorable a guy. Yeah. All right, next we have Brooke in Portland, Oregon. Uh, here's my spec- speculation about the Away in a major, manger reference at the party. I think that we're being warned that Judith is going to be taken or kidnapped or worse. There have been multiple references made by the Alexandrians that Judith is the next generation, a sign of hope, and especially how much they miss holding babies. This also makes me wonder why we have not seen any little ones running around. The youngest kiddo we've seen so far is Jesse's son, the poor, traumatized, sheltered little guy, Simon. If creating a solid town is so important to their growth, why aren't they reproducing? It was uh, Sam, of course, not Simon, but um, I don't know. Uh, Yeah, I mean... That is a good point. We haven't seen many other little kids, certainly no babies. That doesn't mean they're not around, I guess. But they've made a few references to Judith being, especially Deanna, to Judith being, you know, the one who's going to see what this place can become. So they might have a baby pit on the other side of town, right, where they keep all the babies. Well, you know, if you're going to keep your babies somewhere, why not? Like a ball pit, but for babies. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Why not? You got to keep them somewhere, right? (laughs) That's right. Yeah. All right, Jeff on the internet says, I have a few, I have seen a few examples of how Judith has been on a biblical storyline. I was last struck by this realization when she was laying by herself in the barn atop of some hay while the entire group held back the barn doors from the Walker NATO. It appeared to me that the group's sole purpose at that moment was not to protect the group, but as a group, protect their eventual savior, Judith. Maybe they don't realize it yet, but Judith somehow holds the key to saving the human race. Okay, perhaps not in a biblical way, despite the numerous parodies. Maybe it's more like Judith has immunity to this virus. She could be. Yeah, and they just, they don't know it yet. I mean, she was born, well, I mean, she was born of people that had the virus, but who knows? We don't know how it works. Yeah, we don't. So far, she's still okay, and she hasn't been bit by a zombie yet, so uh, we don't know. That's right, we just don't know. All right, next we have Sarah from the second most stoned state behind Rhode Island, Colorado. <laughs> I guess. I don't know how <laughs> I don't know if that's a fact, but I'm going with it. Sure. Uh so Sarah sent a long email with lots of problems with the show in general, but uh, we pulled this part as it's relevant to the episode. Why is no one else mad about the horse? That creature was the most beautiful uh, was more beautiful than any any fucked up sociopath human currently on the show. Why not have it escape the first time so Daryl and Aaron could have found him later and taken him back to Alexandria? I believe the only reason the horse was killed was because the writers believe we, the audience, are horrible savages who need to see at least one scene of zombie gore in every episode. When we, the audience, know this show shouldn't be about just zombies. It's about people. And killing horses. Well, yeah. I mean, you could have people (laughs) killing horses too, right? That'd make you pissed off. I'm surprised we haven't gotten... We haven't... Uh, seen a pet dog yet that has died um we've seen we've had a pack of dogs yeah. that were killed and eaten because they were hungry that's, that's right fine but nobody's befriended a dog like in the uh uh in the video game where you befriend a dog named sam and uh you know spoiler alert for the game the dog dies which mm-hmm. is very sad because that always pisses me off when they kill the dog in uh, tv shows or games yeah but i'm surprised we haven't seen a pet dog you know, Daryl befriends a dog, and uh, it comes for food, and Daryl, you know, loves it and pets it and names it Fido or what have you, and then eventually the dog dies, and Daryl's completely distraught. 
Yeah. It might happen, but we haven't seen it yet. It still could happen. Um, the thing is, people tend to get way more upset about animals dying than people dying. Yeah, never kill the dog. That's like a, a writing trope. It, if you kill the dog, you're just going to piss off your audience. Well, that's right. Or if you do kill the dog, it's it ends up being some sort of big misunderstanding and the dog comes back at the end. Yeah, I mean, and it's the same thing with knees, right? If you could uh, beat somebody with a baseball bat in their chest and body and break their arms or whatever, but as soon as you kneecap somebody with that baseball bat, everybody goes, oh, because you can feel that, right? So, you know, and getting shot in the head, heads cut off, you know, arms cut off, whatever, nobody cares. But as soon as you kneecap somebody with a baseball bat, that's when the audience go, groans along with the, with the actor. That's interesting. It's because somehow you can feel the kneecapping more than you can, like, than, than you can getting your head chopped off or split in half or whatever. That's because every little kid knows what it's like to be running down the street and all of a sudden they whack their knee and it hurts like a son of a bitch. Yeah, that's Not a true. lot of people know what it's like to get their arm lopped off in a fight. <laughs> no, thankfully, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and extending that out to animals, I mean, most people or a lot of people know what it's like to lose a pet. Yeah. Horse, dog, cat, fish, hamster, whatever. Um, but uh, so that's why I think people identify or are so affected with or are so affected by animals being killed. Yeah. We tend to personify our pets too, right? My cats have personalities. Sometimes they're idiots. Sometimes I get mad at them. I was yelling at my cat earlier today because it was outside my uh, my office door meowing at me while I was on a conference call. After I got off the call, I went out and I gave her shit for yelling at me. It's like, I was on a call in here. What the hell are you doing yelling at me? You know, <laughs> quiet down. Yeah. I'm trying to work. You got to discipline them cats. <laughs> right. You know, and, and then I realized how stupid I was because I'm disciplining the cat because it didn't know I was on a conference call. Like my cat knows what a conference call is. You never know. Cats are shifty, man. Yeah. You never know. Okay, it's me, right, Martin? Yeah. Yep. Near the actual Pickering in Yorkshire, Yorkshire, UK. I take offense to that. Why? This isn't because I live in actual an, an actual Pickering. <laughs> it doesn't mean it's fake. It just means it's different. That's right. You're both in actual Pickerings, uh, but his is probably older than yours. Uh, Martin, I will concede that yours is the original. There you but go. I'm not sure I can uh, accept the actual. All right. Well, Martin says, just listened to your last podcast and have a quick comment on Michonne ceremonially, ceremonially hanging up her sword. If we are going to take the symbolism to its fullest extent, you have to recognize that she didn't hang it sheathed. It was left blade exposed, both symbolically and practically ready for action at a moment's notice. Also, since we have had the rictatorship, is it okay now to start calling it a democracy? <laughs> <laughs> Could De be. Democracy. Yep, I think I got that. Um, this comment by Martin here reminds me of the conversation that Michonne and Abraham had out on the deck at the party. Right. Because he was saying something to her along the lines of, you know, you don't, you don't you you pray you never have to use that sword again, but you also pray that you never forget how to use it or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. And her hanging up the wall, hanging the sword on the wall, blade exposed, exactly, um, you know, depicts that theory, that idea where she's putting it away, but it's never going to be not a part of her, right? And she can. And I, I think that's important. And there's that phrase, uh, "swords to plowshares." 
right? Where, uh, you know, when the war is over, you reuse your swords, you put it in a plow in order to turn earth because mm-hmm. right? you need a plowshare. Sure. But she's not doing that. She's hanging it up going, you know, I'm putting that over there for now because I don't need it. But when I do, it's ready. Yeah. And it's, it, it, goes along with what we've been getting in these few episodes here you know these people they want to fit in but they also don't want to become soft and uh and uh weak and and be taken advantage of yep so So hopefully she'll still train with it that makes sense yeah all right next we have melanie Uh, You talked about characters and PTSD on the show. It made me think about how some veterans have trouble reintegrating with the mundane of everyday life and want to return to war. I think that that, that this may be Rick's problem. He wants the safety of Alexandria for Carl and Judith, but misses the adrenaline of life outside the walls. He talks about taking the place and it's stirring things with Pete and his, and is stirring things with Pete and his wife. At the end, when he's at the wall, I think they are showing that part of him wants to be back outside. Subconsciously, maybe. I mean, the main thing, as I just finished saying, is he doesn't want to get soft, but be back outside? I don't know. I mean, maybe he likes the challenge of being out there. Yeah, and I think there's also the thing that every time they're not on the road, uh, things really go to shit. Like, that's when things really start getting crappy. So being on the road is, you know, crappy in one way, but it's a, there's a lot of freedom and a lot of safety being on the road, being small, being mobile, uh, going from place to place. But once you settle in and go, oh, okay, this is the safe place, that every time they've done that, it's turned to crap. That's a really good point, actually. I mean, it took a while at the prison, but eventually it turned to crap. As soon as they got to Terminus, it turned to crap. When they were at the at the farm, it eventually burned down and turned to crap. <laughs> CDC blew up on them, for crying out loud. Yeah, that's right. It exploded. So, I mean, sometimes it takes longer than other times, but you're right. I mean, he's... Terminus? They showed up at Terminus. They're like, you want... Uh, yeah, that uh, that turned bad. Yeah, I said term- Terminus had happened almost immediately. Um yeah. So, you know, subconsciously, he's probably like, well, we may be safe now, but if, you know, history repeats itself, and we all know it does, this place is not going to last forever. Yeah. So maybe he does want to be outside. Maybe it's, uh, you know, he he is conflicted. It's like, okay, so Carl and Judith can be safe here, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm uneasy with staying in one place. Yeah. All right, a couple more. Adam in Texas writes, Sasha being back, start over. Sasha being asked to bring back a leg. Ouch. That was a kick right in the bob. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, Bob lost his leg. He did. She liked Bob, and now Olivia is asking her to bring back a leg. Yeah, bring back a leg. We'll make some meal out of it. We'll make some cured meat. (laughs) What was she making? She was making uh, jerky. Prosciutto? Or not prosciutto. Um, It was... It was something. It was a it was yeah cured cured meat ah I, it's the word is not coming to me right now all right so finally we have uh emily in minion oh my god minneapolis how fucking beautiful was that ending from the point where pete puts his hand on jesse's back and rick reaches for his gun to that fucking happy as shit song to the juxtaposition of rick and the walker on either side of the fence to the A on Rick's hand that reminds him of Terminus. Wow. Seriously, one of my favorite endings to an episode ever. Fucking beautiful. Way to weave a tapestry of obscenities, Emily. (laughs) You're a poet. 
Absolutely. And you know what? It was a good ending. I think there was a lot going on in that ending and it was it was a good um it was a good capper to this episode and almost to the last few episodes since they've arrived in Alexandria because I think starting this week on the upcoming episode we are going to get the beginning of the end of this season and things are going to really start happening. I would agree with you there. All right. And that is all of the feedback for this week. Thank you so much to everyone who wrote or called in. And uh, thank you, too, to Tammy for the contest entry. And uh, to Mr. Chainsaw on Twitter for letting us know about our our position in the UK iTunes store. So we will be back next Monday when we are talking about the next episode of The Walking Dead, number 14 of 16 for season 5. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, by all means, give us a call, 1-844-483-9662. That's the toll-free number. Or send us an email at talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. If social media is your type of thing, you can find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. I must admit, I really wish I owned The Talking Dead on Twitter, but we don't. Such is life. Yeah. Um, Send in entries for our Record Your Favorite Scene contest. A few more weeks before that wraps up. And uh, please, as always, don't forget to vote for us in the Podcast Awards at podcastawards.com. We're in the entertainment category, and you can vote once a day. Uh, All right. That's going to do it for this episode of The Talking Dead. Until Monday, everyone. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.